Alexis Kingsbury has been entrepreneurial since he could remember. He has built two successful SaaS businesses, SpiderGap and Air Manual. This episode, you will learn how to document your business processes and delegate tasks, how Alexis built his businesses, and the problems he faced when trying to free up his time. I've got a bit of both ends of the spectrum when it comes to my experience as an entrepreneur. So uh, I did, for the businesses that I'm running now, I did uh, leave a essentially a corporate type role. I was a management consultant working with large global organizations like BP and Honda and AstraZeneca and so on. Uh, but deep in my heart, I've always been entrepreneurial. Like when I was 12, 13, I was uh, uh, washing cars and earning a few pounds to sweep people's drives and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I even hired one of my school friends to help me clear out a stream of one of, one of the neighbors like gardens. And in, uh, I think a couple of years after that, I started making my first sort of checks from pay-per-click advertising. In fact, back, back then, you could put a banner on a website and you used to get paper imp- uh, thousand impressions. So you wouldn't even need people to click on those banners to make money. You could literally just have some traffic to uh, to the website. And so I've always had that in me, like wanting to start a business. Rather embarrassingly, I think I had a goal, like when I was about 13, 14, 15, of bigger than Branson, yeah. which is... <laughs> is it's pretty cringeworthy now when i reflect on it uh but uh i've got better at setting goals over the uh over the years and have now built businesses that uh that don't employ children <laughs> <laughs> but you, you could have gone to the moon you know there's many things that branson has done with his time it's true yeah he's done so many amazing things and and when i compare myself uh, to, to him on some of those particular measures i just haven't measured up <laughs> I, I realize now i'm a colossal failure <laughs> i mean you could be on your way there who knows so <laughs> when you were doing management consultancy i'm assuming that took up most of your time and most of like your kind of energy but what was the first business you started or kind of thought about starting that took you away from the management consulting stuff and more into where you are now. Yeah, so uh, in many ways, I went into management consulting to learn how bigger businesses were uh, created, built, scaled, and run. Because with the businesses that I run as a child, and then alongside being at uni and so on, I kind of felt like I, I was missing something. I wasn't. I was really struggling to to make them grow and scale. And after a few years as a management consultant, I felt that it was time. Okay, let's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on. And particularly because I met my uh, now co-founder, uh, and we have been for for twelve years. We've been business partners, uh, Paddy Mann, and we met when we were both consulting him on more technical uh, com- sort of coding type challenges, me on process and people uh, challenges, and uh, we just clicked and gotten really well. But both of us shared a dream that one day we would own a software business. Mm. And so we started out with initially our consultancy, which is called Bridging Insight, helping organizations to collaborate better, essentially work together better was the tagline. And so for uh, at least a couple of years, the main focus was doing consulting whilst trying to work out what should be our software business. So that was the first business that we created together. Okay, so you kind of went from consultancy into your own consultancy. And then you was like, right, this whole time we need a software 
kind of business. Software businesses are the best, you know, low margin, hardly any, hardly any staff, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, now on, on uh, reflection, I think that there were lots of limitations in um, my thinking at that time. I think I, I thought that the only way I'd avoid uh, trading time for money was if I could build a business uh, that was an asset software business that could run without me. Um, over the years, I've learned that actually there are many ways in which you can do that with the consulting business, but I didn't know that back then. Um, so yeah, so we set out to, to build a software business together and came up with lots of different ideas and tried some out and threw loads in the bin and iterated and pivoted until eventually we, we created SpiderGap as a 360 degree feedback tool, which supports uh, organizations around the world, over 550 organizations now. Uh, with doing uh, employee, essentially supporting employee development, helping employees to prioritize their personal development and take action on it. And so we're now the top rated 360 feedback tool uh, globally and uh, uh, yeah, used all over the world and used to assess tens of thousands of employees each year. And it's been an amazing journey. Uh, and I must admit, I think, uh, although I'm passionate about developing people, that's why we kind of had that particular focus and developing both ourselves and the teams. One of the most enjoyable parts has really been the, the building of the business and building a team. Because back when I was a consultant, I was told by a manager that I would never be uh, a good kind of line manager. I'd never be able to grow a team like that. Mm. I didn't have the people skills. I was uh, uh, not great at bringing people with me. I was, right. I was sharp. I'd come up with ideas and I'd know the right way, but I wasn't bringing people with me. And, and at the time, I didn't really understand what that meant or, or what to do about it. And I don't feel I was given good coaching on what to do either. So perhaps ironically, that manager wasn't a good manager either. Um, but as a result, I, I, I actually actively avoided employing people in the early days. I read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week and thought, this is the way we'll do it. We'll build a business that doesn't, require us that we can work four hours a week we'll hire contractors so we don't have to manage anyone and so on and over the years I've learned that that is all complete rubbish in fact I remember once hiring a contractor who I thought great they're going to do all my finance administration and I think they had stopped working for me for four months before I noticed (laughs) once HMRC started sending you red letters that's when you realized things were going a bit wrong Oh, well, it, it, I mean, they were essentially doing bookkeeping, right? Mm. And so it wasn't until I was like going in going, huh, there's a lot of unreconciled transactions here. I was rather expecting this to be done and just realizing, oh, they totally just stopped working, didn't mention it. And of course, I wasn't having regular one-to-ones because I was thinking, oh, I don't want to manage people. And so it was after that and multiple other mistakes that I realized I needed to be doing things very differently if I wanted to to grow a successful business. And so we did. We got absolutely hot on how do you hire A players? How do you create an organization that they really want to work in? How do you manage and support them and empower them? And how do you develop them within the organization so that they can uh, do greater things and take things off me and take on uh, new responsibilities and projects? And as a result, myself and my co-founder are no longer operationally required in that business within SpiderGap. Day to day, we've got this amazing team. They run everything. And I'm not saying that that can mean I never 
get pulled into something that comes up or some major issue but generally everything just runs smoothly and and we're able my business partner and I are able to go on for big holidays three four weeks at a time not have to worry not get disturbed once not have to keep it on email or anything like that uh, and so ultimately I suppose we we did achieve the the goal of what we set out to do uh, which is which has been awesome and incredibly rewarding kind of building that team with us but uh like uh, most entrepreneurs, we then started to get the, uh, the itchy feet and thinking, ooh, I wonder what we could do next. So then we started another business. Well, that, that's, <laughs> that's how it always goes, isn't it? They think People think that once you have one successful business, wow, well done, here's the finish line, you know, ha- have, a, have a beer and relax. And then what really happens is you go, I need to start training again. I need to start going for the next challenge and the next race. But one thing I wanted to ask you about Spider Gap is... In the beginning, obviously, it was just you and Paddy, your co-founder. What were those first days and months like? How did you find clients? Obviously, I'm assuming Paddy was on the software side building stuff, but you said you were more peoples and processes. And I'm assuming, you know, as, as with most founders, probably sales and, and you know, customer acquisition. So t- talk me through your experience of that. You know, day one, okay, we're going to build Spider Gap or whatever the title was at the time. Month one, there's no money in the bank, but we need money. Talk me through that process. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so you're absolutely right, and particularly uh, early days, and, and in fact, pre day one, because my my aim was actually to have paid consulting work from day one of the company being registered and me having left. So, I had some conversations around the edges of the uh, the notice period that I was serving, essentially looking for where have people got challenges, and I think that's that's been a skill that's really. Uh, stood me in good stead throughout my entrepreneurial life has been the ability to focus not on what's the thing that I want to sell, but instead what's the pain point, what's the problem that the customer has, and essentially using questions to to dig deep. And then when the little light bulb goes on, you go, "Oh, I think I do know how to solve that, or I've got a plan." Mm. Then there's usually an opportunity to help in some way. And so in those early days, I basically had as many conversations of those as I could right. to help try and identify where are there some, some challenges that, that we could help with. Uh, but it was tough. And I, I do remember like having to sit, I remember a particular exercise in which Paddy and I would sit down, we'd say, right, we hate doing sales outreach. We hate doing the cold, you know, essentially the cold emailing, cold calling, whatever. And even, I mean, we say cold, like even if these were referrals or people we knew, <laughs> it just felt like icky. Mm. And so to motivate each other to do it, we would literally take turns. We'd say, right, Paddy, your turn. You're going to call this person. And, you know, based on a list that we'd come up with and no filtering, no, oh, you know, I could call that person, but there's another person that maybe would be slightly better to talk to or whatever. It was like, right, do it. And so we repeated that process over and over and got some meetings arranged. And off the back of that, got some uh, got some consulting work. So we did have consulting work lined up from day one. And there were times when we had big gaps in it. I remember a particular, uh, particularly scary walk where at the time I was living in Battersea in London and, uh, the two of us just walked around Battersea Park, kicking through the leaves and going, ah, oh, this, this might all die. Like this, this is all going to end. And that was so hard because, you know, we, essentially it was like giving up the dream, right? Giving, giving up on everything that we had uh, hoped for and aimed for and, uh, and we're trying to build. 
But fortunately, then one of the proposals that we happened to, to have live at that moment, surprisingly to us, went ahead and, and it kept going. And so in those first few years, it was a bit feast and famine of when those consulting projects would come in and uh, being able to then support us in, in lasting a little bit longer. And wherever we could, we would spend time around the edges coming up with product ideas and prototyping things and uh, doing some customer validation and so on. Okay. Well, it sounds like for you, what, yeah, the first few months and maybe even the first year of Spider Gap was a real challenge and a real task. But when you decide to take on that first employee, I know that's a, a big responsibility and it's, it's arguably the most important hire that you will make because it's only then that you're building your culture and you know, trusting someone outside of you know, your, your trusted circle to, to do work for you. So what, what was that hiring process like? How did you find this person? What was the first type of hire you made? Was it someone to do operational stuff with you? Was it someone to do kind of coding stuff or, or technical stuff? That, that's always something of interest to me, especially with a SaaS business. Yeah, I think that, uh, so the, the first thing I'll say is that when we hired the first people, like most business owners, we did an awful job of it <laughs> for so many reasons. Uh, but essentially, the area in which we kind of hired first and, and did a couple of times was was around that sales side, partly because of that that fear and this the, the dislike of it and the, the feeling of it being icky and, and whatever, which now in retrospect, I'll look back at, like look back at and say we were solving the problem in the wrong way. What we should have been doing is working out how do you make the sales easy? Mm. How do you make it really organized and like something that they the, the customer wants to have they want to have a conversation about their problems of course they do they want to have a solution to those problems and it and, and we weren't framing it in those ways and so when we brought in that that first salesperson we essentially high we put an advert out there looking for a salesperson for the SaaS business and in the space and we got quite a few applicants and the one that we ended up um, hiring was one who had had experience of selling HR, SaaS software, and had done over a million in revenue in sales in the previous year. So we thought, oh, this will be fantastic. They'll work their Rolodex. They'll go out and make these sales. And it didn't work like that at all, because ultimately, a good salesperson still needs a good sales process and collateral and clear messaging and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't provide that, then it's not going to then suddenly magically fit together. And I think that's a challenge that we've had to overcome is saying rather than, oh, we'll just bring someone in and they'll instantly do a good job because they've got the experience. You need to hire for skills. So, you know, for salespeople, enthusiasm, communication, ability to ask great questions, ability to kind of close the sale and so on. But actually, you need to provide the knowledge. You need to provide the sales process, the collateral, the information about the product, the understanding of the customer. All of that needs to come from you. And we didn't do that enough the first time round we, we hired. As a result, we didn't get the results. We tried and iterated and whatever. And eventually, after too long, again, we took too long to make the to pull the plug, uh, we had to kind of make them redundant. And that was really painful because by then we had also brought in a software developer who was someone that we knew. Again, not a great way of hiring, hiring someone that you know rather than casting the net a bit wider. And so that was one of the worst experiences of doing business was having to make people uh, redundant and particularly people that 
um you've brought in that you know and, and all that kind of stuff and it's it always is like having to uh, exit people from the business particularly when it's not down to performance or something they've necessarily done it's just that things haven't worked out so that was a really painful experience but we learned a lot from that yeah and, and obviously you took those lessons and were like right we're going to build this business the right way and now like you said previously spider gap kind of runs on its own you know you guys obviously do have your your moments where you drop in and drop out and do what you're doing but it's a self-sustaining business there's there's clients there there's customers there and it, it just it's like its self, own self-sustaining ecosystem so with all that free time at first when you kind of realize that oh it's it's working you know i've i've run i'm running a business but i'm running it not so much the tim ferris way like you said you hated but in the you know the alexis way which is it's running it's working i don't have to be in the weeds all the time what did you first do with that free time? Yeah, so it's it's been a a continuum. It's not like we went from one day to another and went, oh, oh, suddenly I've got you know forty days a week. It it took time, and of course, part of it is a continuous process of essentially delegating, taking particular responsibilities and activities that I was doing and passing them to someone else in the team. But the the, the trick, the, the, the technique that really unlocked all of that and made that so much more effective and fast was documenting our activities or responsibilities as a series of interactive checklists. Mm. Because that meant that, for example, when I hired a finance administrator to take on all the financy stuff that I was doing, uh, this is long after the day when I hired a finance administrator as a contractor and just abdicated responsibility and just said, you do it, and it didn't work out. Uh, so uh, when I had a finance administrator properly, I was able to give them the checklists of how I was doing month end and quarterly VAT returns and year end and the R&D tax claim and reconciliations and payroll and timesheet reviews and pay reviews and all these sorts of things. And so very quickly, within like seven days, she was able to take on everything I was doing on payroll and get up to speed on doing bank reconciliations and take on accounts payable and receivable. And beyond that has now gone way further than that and does stuff that I wasn't even doing. And this is someone with zero finance experience or expertise. They are just super smart Mm. and were hired on the basis that they have a, a brain that really likes processes, really likes uh, is really good for attention to detail and really likes numbers and working working with numbers. And they've just done a, a fantastic job of taking on these responsibilities and developing further and are now essentially developing towards being my head of finance in the, in the company. But the fact that I was able to very quickly free up 15 hours a week of my time just by passing these things to them and so that's been the process really it's been identifying what's taking up my time that I could package up as a as a role or a set of responsibilities who could I pass that to and then providing documented checklists that enable them to get up to speed so much faster and then the nice thing is if they have any questions or if they make any mistakes we just look uh, we just look at what part of the process went wrong there what what got missed and how do we improve that so I never have to answer the same questions over and over (laughs) or have the same problems and that that was always one of my biggest frustrations when I was doing a bad job of hiring was I I would feel I had trained someone I told someone how to do something and then they'd make the same mistake that they'd made the previous week or they'd ask me a question I'd be like "Ah, I told you this already and of course it's like well people forget 
and so it completely changed the business when we started documenting this kind of stuff and empowering people to make changes to it and own it themselves. And so over time, I was able to let go of more and more. And I don't think I've ever done that whilst then having nothing to do because partly because one thing that's motivated us doing that more quickly over the last couple of years was a new business idea that we wanted to move on to or, or to start up as well, uh, which is Air Manual. And the concept behind Air Manual is it's about documenting processes and onboarding as interactive checklists. And we did that because we, on our own experience of having done it at, at SpiderGap, we knew firstly the power that it can have but secondly, how the existing tools out there weren't really up to scratch in terms of making it user-friendly, making it easy for people to be able to uh, both document the processes, but also make it easy for the team members to, to make changes and improvements and, and uh, make it e enjoyable even to follow those kind of checklists. And, and so by doing that, we've now helped uh, loads of business leaders to free up thousands of hours of their time per year, uh, stop repeating the same mistakes and get new staff members up to speed in like under seven days with uh, without having to spend a load of time spoon feeding that uh, that new joiner, which has just been amazing. I absolutely love it. And that's one great way to kind of find product market fit is to to make something that you yourself have found yourself needing like you know over and over and over again. And so with, with Air Manual, it was kind of like, the pitch is already there. It's the fact that I'm constantly having to repeat myself. I'm sure other small and medium and even probably large businesses are constantly having to go, oh no, you know, this. you have to do it like this. You have to do it like that. Or, oh, I've got to train somebody. And as much as it's great to have to, you know, to sit down with somebody and teach them something, I think, there are better ways to do things, especially in this day and age. And I feel like Air Manual is that that is that the kind of SaaS tool market that you're coming in from is like this is for employees to use to 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 educate and learn their processes that they need to do to do their job. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the thing that we've seen, you know, we've seen examples of organizations using it because perhaps they're whole they're being they feel they're held back from growth. So let's say that they've got an organization where actually the team as it is, is really, really stretched and they want to grow, but there's problems, there's mistakes, there's balls that get dropped. And as a result, they know that if they start to scale that as it is, they'll scale up the problem. As a result, there'll be money left on the table. There'll be customers that believe there's a risk of bad reviews. Uh, they may even just struggle to be able to deliver uh, the work that they sell and, and so on. And so as a result, you know, that needs addressing before you then try and scale that business. In some cases, we work with business owners who are just absolutely manic, spending 60 hours a week on the business, no time for holidays, not been on holiday for five years, uh, having to work late and weekends and so on just to keep things going. And yet... They're spending time on low value activities that could be delegated to other people, but they've just not found the time to do it. And so but through both the tool, but now we also offer uh, consulting support, we can help them through a series of short calls, document, you know, get those processes out of their brain in some interactive checklists so that their team can then take those things off them. And in some cases, we've in a couple of hours worth of calls we've freed up a business owner's time uh, for three hours per day uh, where they were doing price quotes for customers. Three hours per day. So that's 15 hours per week of their time instantly freed up 
by just spending two hours with them and handing over doing price quotes to their team by documenting. He thought it would take eight hours to document and instead took 45 minutes and then we had a follow-up call to train the rest of the team. And, and that kind of change is huge. But the, the nicest thing was not just that when we did an impact review call, because we're one of our core values is focus on impact. We did a, an impact review call and we found that that what the biggest impact to him wasn't actually freeing up the time. It was the fact that now customers were able to get a uh, quote within an hour rather than having to wait days or even over a week to get a quote back from the business owner. And that's just, it has such a monumental impact on the, on the business. So yeah, I think that's why we kind of work in that space. That's the, I love the impact that we can have as a result. And exactly as you say, it's kind of from scratching our own itch, right? From feeling that same pain in our own business in the past and seeing how it can be addressed is kind of why we were so passionate about building another business, having uh, essentially achieved the dream rather than just sitting back with a beer. <laughs> yeah. And you know what it is? When you build tools for yourself as opposed to building tools for just, oh, this market needs this and this market needs that. Even if it doesn't find you know the, the market to, to buy it, at least you have it for yourself. And I think this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize. Some things that you build, not everything you build is for everyone. But in your case, you were like, oh, no, I know how to productize this. I know how to get this out to people in a way that, you know, has a definite value to them. It's like you said, you freed up so many hours in this guy's week and actually helped him increase his sales because he's got all this free time. And now it's like, oh, quotes come back quicker, which means money technically comes in quicker, which means more clients can come in now because instead of t- it taking three days, it's one day. So realistically, we can do three times the amount of business and and this and that and all this kind of stuff. So Alexis, I want to ask you like, how do you kind of, how did you kind of gain this kind of mindset and this kind of view of, of entrepreneurship and business? Because you said you read the four hour work week and you said it's a bunch of rubbish, which is good because I'm sure some people out there are thinking to themselves, Oh, I was going to read that book and da, 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 da. But you've, you've been like, look, it's not, it's not an attainable dream. It's just, it's all fluff. But the things that you have learned, the things that you have done, where did you get that knowledge from? Or that, at least those kind of ways of thinking? Yeah, so uh, so I, I would describe the entire works of Tim Ferriss as all fluff. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll make sure that uh, we get that right in there. Um, but um, no, I, I, like... Uh, essentially a lot of it is from reading and and learning from amazing people including Tim Ferriss uh, because ultimately you know it's a bit cliche but it's standing on the shoulders of giants right it's there are so many people out there that have already got the battle scars from the mistakes that we've made I mean that's why your wonderful audience are listening to to these kind of interviews is essentially because uh, a a fool learns from their own mistakes and a wise person learns from the mistakes of fools so, you know, learn from the foolish mistakes I've made and uh, and achieve success quicker with a lot less pain. So I think an element of, of it is how I've been able to do that is by attending events, by being part of masterminds and coaching groups, by getting support from experts, by listening to podcasts, by listening to audiobooks and reading books and so on. That's that's really just helped me continually improve my, my thinking and challenge myself uh, to always be better. And I think that's one of the most common traits I see in successful entrepreneurs is that willingness or uh, comfort with being wrong and the fact that actually there's probably a better answer out there and as a result, not holding concepts too tightly 
I think that sometimes there's um, a misunderstanding around things like, oh, you've got to have a real commitment behind your vision and purpose and what you believe you can achieve. And you do need to be very persistent as an entrepreneur. But on the flip side, you also need to hold the idea quite gently because what if that's not the right product? What if the customer doesn't want it exactly as how you're describing it? You know, when we created SpiderGap, we didn't originally create it as a 360 feedback tool. We created it as a much broader offering, but it was only through pivoting that we were able to go, actually, here's where the target market is. This is the real value proposition. These are the customers that are willing to spend 10 times as much as other customers who do so uh, and regret it or, or, or grumble about it. And so it's a weird combination uh, and entrepreneurship's a bit like that. That sort of, you have to, there are two things that have to be true at the same time. You, you need to be strong, committed and persevere and also listen and be willing to change <laughs> and adapt. And, and sometimes that can be hard, but I think ultimately the only way through that is to, is to kind of learn and be, be humble and willing to be wrong often as I have been many times. <laughs> that is a, that is a great, kind of view to have and obviously that's come over many years you mentioned having you know battle scars and all that kind of stuff so o- over these years do you have any kind of standout pieces of media that you've kind of read or watched or anything like that yeah so the, there's a few great uh, books out there that i uh, that i can recommend for for people that are kind of uh, looking to, to to grow and be successful but i'm reminded of a, a, a friend um, who, who was uh, interviewed as part of mastermind group i was on and uh, he was asked a similar question and you know, what books would you reckon would you recommend and he answered well, what are you trying to do because that's a big part of it right is mm. the the right book kind of depends or, or the right resource depends a lot on what you're trying to do but if i had to pick some some broad ones that i think are just absolutely fantastic and have been really uh, really helpful uh if you're in the early stages and you're trying to find product market fit the mom test is a really good one that's kind of written from the perspective of how do you make sure that real customers will want to buy what you're what you're you're selling and and being a, being willing to iterate to do that the lean startup is another book that kind of has that same ethos of trying to uh, iterate and build and measure and learn and then and then go back through that loop i'd say traction is a fantastic book for thinking about what's the uh, as they would put it the operating system for your for your business and how does that break down i love a lot of mike mccallowitz's book books so profit first is fantastic for thinking about your finances and making sure that you don't uh, grow broke <laughs> so yeah. you know grow the business but essentially not never make any money uh, and instead put the money aside and he's also got the fantastic book clockwork which in fact i was recently speaking to uh, the team over at run like clockwork uh, about uh, air manual and and so on and looking at how it, how it measures up to, to other tools and they were uh, saying some very lovely things but the uh, which is just an amazing honor because I look up to what they do so much. Yeah. You know, they uh, they've got some really great uh, books uh, there. So I, I, I think some of those are a great start. But I'm also really happy to to share other uh, examples or or whatever based on other people's questions so that they can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or whatever social media. Alexis Kingsbury, they'll find me. There's not many, not many Alexis Kingsbury's. Uh, and uh, send me a message. I'll happily, happily give some suggestions. But it is a little bit about down to what's the problem you're trying to trying to solve. But there's so many good ones out there. You never you, you never go too far wrong checking out the, the bestsellers in the business books categories. 
uh, just to just to do that. I think mo- the challenge for most people is is that feeling of oh, I never get enough time to read. Mm. Um, and I think for me, overcoming that was about uh, firstly listening to audio programs, podcasts, audio books, etc., mm. so that I could do it while gardening, walking, uh, you know, cooking, whatever it is, driving. Um, but the the other thing was uh, you know. Uh, learning a little bit of speed read as well so that when I do have to do written written book stuff doing a little bit of speed reading and there are YouTube videos out there uh, that can give you the the basic guides that could two three four five times your reading speed to kind of do that kind of stuff so there's, there's loads of loads of ways of doing it but ultimately it's about opening your mind and seeking those opportunities to learn and find find essentially finding people that have solved the problems that you've that you want to solve because <laughs> yeah. they're the ones that ultimately can help you avoid all the uh, the mistakes and the uh, and the traps along the way and with the idea of kind of opening your mind or allowing yourself to kind of look for help you know whether it's in a book or in people you you spoke about being part of masterminds and i want to know well first of all how did you find the mastermind or masterminds that you joined and the second of all what were you looking to get out of it versus what did you get out of them? Yeah, so there are some fantastic masterminds and coaching programs out there that actually uh, there's been a big increase in them over the last, particularly last few years. You know, online membership programs and so on are, uh, have grown hugely. And so if you start by perhaps going out on social media and finding people who are sharing good content and uh, and start there that's that's not a bad place to start personally i got really lucky i went to a event uh, about eight or nine years ago and uh, i'd gotten been to a few events and then some of them were good and whatever this one was great and it had some really smart people at it including uh, dan bradbury nick james uh, and various other speakers including ryan dice and uh, jay abraham and uh, loads of other fantastic people and they have done multiple events over the uh, months and years uh, since then. But the the thing for me was a lot of, uh, uh, and particularly at that time, there was a lot of content out there that was like, oh, you know, uh, here's how to 10x, 100x your business by just reaching more people. Or here's how to um, uh, go out there and with a big message and um, here's how to make crazy revenues and whatever. Uh, and this was a, it was a group where, uh, there were ideas shared around that, but there was a much bigger emphasis on actually making profit and turning it into cash. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> ultimately, as a business, yes, you need revenue. Of course you do. But most businesses are massively uh, underperforming when it comes to profits and cash. I think I read that the um, the average limited company in the UK, uh, their typical like, uh, essentially profit and dividend is like £9,000 per year, which is just so depressing because it means that most business owners would be better off just getting a job mm. in financial terms. And I think um, that's a, a really sad state of affairs, but is is completely preventable because essentially you need to focus on what is it, uh, who are the ideal customers that are actually getting the most value? How do you maximize the value for them? How do you make sure that you then charge for that pro- that value appropriately? And how do you make sure that you manage your costs down as much as possible and convert it into cash by uh, uh, making sure that you're getting payments early and all those sorts of things? And 
you know, again, there's great guidance out there to, to help you. But I, I particularly loved that. And as a result, uh, joined at the time Dan Bradbury's mastermind group and have been a member of that for, for many years. Uh, but there are other uh, great groups out there. Uh, Expert Empires is another one that I'm aware of. And um, one of the other things that's really nice to see is there's there's a lot more splitting of those different groups that are much more sort of targeted to particular niches, mm. you know, whether it's targeted to uh, female entrepreneurs or even more specifically female entrepreneurs who are managing membership businesses or coaching or you know if you're running a coaching business or if you're running a SaaS business or if you're running and so I think that's the key is to go looking for those that you know that a, a group that is aligned to your values and what you're looking to to do uh, so I kind of got in many ways I kind of got lucky uh, when I was going I had a period of going to a load of events and yeah just met the right people and it's been instrumental in helping me open my mind and uh, and make the changes that I need to make in the business. Um, so yeah, that's been great. And and you see yourself being a part of a mastermind long term, as opposed to kind of as a as a crisis treatment type thing of oh we want to grow, join the mastermind. Okay, there's the advice. Time to get out of here now. You're more like you're you're part of a mastermind, so you have like this support network as well as this network of knowledge and and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that there have been times over over the, the course of the business where I've said, oh, you know, do I need this as much? Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's funny how quickly uh, a, a, pro- a problem can come on the horizon or you or even you just set yourself a loftier goal and go, oh, I don't I don't know how to do that. And so uh, I think ultimately, if you want to move really quickly, getting some kind of coaching, getting that support, being part of a community, even if it's a community, if you want to go the ultimate cheap way to do this so if you're out there listening thinking oh i can't afford these mastermind groups they're thousands tens of thousands of pounds you know uh, and there are some that are even more uh, but you're thinking I, I can't possibly afford that here's the cheap way to do it although it does take some time but in my experience you can either spend money or you can spend time mm. uh, you don't get to spend neither uh, to get good results uh, but here's the way to do it is that you basically identify who would be the ideal group of masterminders for you. Now note uh, that you do need to pick relevant people. So for example, if you're a one man band coach, it's probably not appropriate to go, right, I'm going to get Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, like they're, the heavy hitters. The space, <laughs> yeah, they're not in the space that you want to work in. Never mind. Would they be interested in working with you? So identify who are the people that are, just like one step ahead in one place, because if you're, let's say that you're uh, currently earning a hundred thousand a year, you don't want to be going for someone who's like eight figures revenue. That doesn't make sense, but you could look at someone who's more at 300, 400, 500, you know, getting, getting up that end. And actually there are still things that they could learn from things that you're good at uh, and, and vice versa. So starting out by identifying who would be that ideal group of proximate people uh, that would be part of that. And then essentially arrange some calls, have some conversations, build up rapport, and then go out to all of them and say, hey, I'm arranging a, a mastermind group in which I'm bringing together similar businesses that fit in this tight profile uh, to spend some time together, let's say half a day or a day or whatever, uh, to share what they've been working on, what their challenges are and, and challenge each other and come up with better plans. You might not get everyone that you then contact, but I bet you get a few. And over time, you can then increase that because then you can say, oh, yeah, I've got this person, this person, this person, this person. Would you be interested in joining as well? I've only got a few spaces. And you can manage that. And some people do exactly that, but just charge. 
Yeah. But you could do that for free and just create yourself your own little mastermind of the most perfect people that could help you get to where you want to go. And as a group, by helping each other, you just keep growing and developing and so on. Like some of the, the best business friends I've got have come through those kind of mastermind groups. Uh, there are people who I meet up outside of paid mastermind groups to still kind of mastermind to, to work on each other's businesses. And it's just been incredibly powerful as a as a mechanism so so that's something that anyone can do you can anyone can go and build that and they will as a result get some challenge and insight from other people that have solved some of the challenges that you've solved that is a very good insight and a very kind of valuable piece of information so for the listener make sure you take that in because it's like you said you can either spend time or money but you can't do neither so you know, if you're if you're if you're very rich on time, then you know go about that route that Alexis just described. But if you've got a little bit of money, or if you're you know, I hate when people say, "Oh, invest in yourself, invest in yourself." But you know, if you don't invest in yourself, trust me, no one else will. Join a mastermind. Make sure it's the right one for you. And you know, the, the process of finding one is is much like finding you know a romantic partner or a business partner or whatever you want to do in life. It's you know, not the first one might not be for you, but the second one might, the third one might not. You just have to keep going and, you know, make sure you're doing work on yourself at the same time. You know, you can't come to a new situation as the same person or else you're going to never really grow. But Alexis, I want to ask you this because, you know, you have this wealth of experiences, these years and years of knowledge, and all of that has kind of like led you up to the moment you're at now. So for you now, what what are Alexis's goals, you know, not only day to day, but long term, because you have those kind of those abilities to look long-term. So obviously you're going to have that, the typical thing of growing both your businesses, but is there a third business in the works? Like what's going on? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so no, so I haven't got an immediate business that I'm immediately jumping onto yet. So my focus at the moment is continuing to support that leadership team at, at Spider Gap and, and particularly to coach that team to, to continue to grow it. And I love that as a process because rather than thinking, oh, how am I going to grow this business and how am I going to come up with the next idea and mm. so on? I think it's much more powerful the more I can support them in, in doing that, both, both for the success of the business, but also for them as, as the team and, and they deserve that. So that's something I'm really enjoying. And then on the air manual side, I'm. Uh, I think one of the the challenges for air manual is that as a tool, as a software application, it's super easy to use. People love it when they see it. They go, "Oh my god, I need this in my business. Set me up with a workspace right now." And then two weeks later, they've done nothing. Mm. And so what we've learned for that business is that people do need some help. They do need the guns. They do need the understanding. They do need it breaking down for them so that they can make the progress so that they can invest small amounts of time relatively to get big returns. And typically we're looking at four to 80 times return on your time, if you like, yeah. based on the amount that you put in. And it's so that's such a huge like it should be a no brainer thing. But I think we, we, we all struggle with it. Right. Like putting in that. It's a bit like, you know, I'd go to a time management course, but I just had, don't have the time. <laughs> and I think and I, and I think that's 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 the problem. So that's been, that's currently my focus is helping people understand how easy that or, or uh, how powerful that can be and how easy it can be made to be. Uh, and then providing the guidance and the support. You know, we have a team of consultants who work directly with business leaders to document their processes, free up their time, uh, reduce the errors and empower the team to be able to, to continuously improve and make these changes. And 
uh, create onboarding processes and checklists so that new joiners can get up to speed faster. And so by doing those things, and essentially I want to help uh, thousands of business leaders to save tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours per year, because ultimately, uh, you know, the one thing that we've all got in common is that we've got 24 hours in a day and it comes down to how we use it. And so if I can help people, if I can help business leaders to use their time better, I think that's one of the most powerful, most valuable things I could possibly do. But the moon will have to wait. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Well, Alexis, I have one final question for you. And it's, it's a question I like to ask ask all my guests because it's something that is kind of both eye-opening, but also something for you to kind of reflect on and think about. But what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Yeah, so it's it's changed over the years, but I would say that the thing that I that brings me the most joy now is managing people. It's it's something that I was fearful or even discouraged from doing in the early days. It's something I did appallingly badly <laughs> after a few years. And it's something that I then felt uh, for a period felt was a big waste of time or took a lot of my time. And if only I could delegate this to other people. But I think reframing that managing and developing people as something that is one of the most enjoyable and rewarding things that you can do is a really powerful thing to do as a business leader, because it means that you're then enjoying the process of finding amazing people to hire and keeping in contact with people that you can't hire just yet, mm. but you might do in future. Uh, it means that you enjoy having regular conversations with them. And if they're in your team and working with you, having those weekly one-to-ones to learn more about them, understand what their co- uh, career goals are, understanding what's holding them back. And I absolutely love having performance review discussions. You'd have thought that that's one of the worst things for both manager and employee, but the way that we do those discussions where we empower the employee to uh, do their own self-assessment, to draft their personal development plan, and then we have performance reviews regularly. We have them once a quarter, not once a year, so it's not some big thing that one day you'll do and it'll be terrifying and you'll get told all the bad things about what you do. Instead, we make sure that people are getting regular feedback and we use those quarterly performance reviews to do a bit of a, a reset and a reflection, help them identify, you know, what are the things they're doing amazingly? What are the opportunities to improve and help them essentially develop towards their career goals? Like I did a performance review earlier today with a member of my team who shared a career goal that I didn't know that she had. I didn't know that this particular area of skill she wanted to go into, not even an area within a department that I'm notionally responsible for. And yet I was able to say, well, okay, fantastic. If you want to get involved in that, let me connect you to, in this case, my my co-founder, because he's responsible for, for that side of the business. Let's talk about what you could get involved in. Now, it's not to say that, oh, you know, you're suddenly going to take on this new role, but you can get involved in projects and stuff. I mean, what could be more rewarding than identifying what someone else would love to do, like their career aspiration, and then finding a way in which you can support that even in a small part, whilst also benefiting the business because it means they're adding more value and they're in their, in their zone of uh, enjoyment and so on. So I, I think the most, the most valuable, most, the thing that I enjoy the most uh, in my work is managing and developing people. Where can the people find you online? I know you mentioned your LinkedIn earlier, but if you could just say that again and, and let people know where they can connect with you online. 
Sure. Well, firstly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Sam. And I really appreciate what you do. I love your podcast and, and so on. But if people would like to connect with me and uh, learn more about what I'm doing, I'm sh- uh, sharing a lot of guidance and tips and resources and templates and so on on social media. You can find me. It's Alexis Kingsbury. That's A-L-E-X-I-S. And then Kingsbury, K-I-N-G-S-B-U-R-Y. Find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, those are the ones I'm biggest on, but you can also, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and YouTube. Um, but um, those are the biggest ones. Uh, we've got a podcast coming out soon. We've also got uh, some weekly webinars that we run. We've got uh, a scorecard that you can use to help you identify what's currently holding your business back. All of that, the best way to find that would be get to go to airmanual.co. So that's airmanual, that's A-I-R-M-A-N-U-A-L dot C-O. Uh, there you'll find uh, not over only information about Airmanual as a tool and the services we provide, but some of those resources. You can also arrange a free call with a member of our team with a process consultant that will help you to break down where are the biggest opportunities uh, and whether and explore whether Airmanual can help. Uh, so I highly recommend that people go to airmanual.co if people are interested in SpiderGap you can find out more at spidergap.com but I think that's about it otherwise yeah do connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever send me a message if this has been uh, some useful content let me know what's been most useful I'd love to hear Uh, and uh, yeah but otherwise we'll just be putting out content to help as many people as possible save their time stop the mistakes and get new joiners started as quickly as possible so they can grow their businesses. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 